Fun to Matchups podcast. We are your hosts, Kim Kohler and Sean Rodenberg. And we are here for the seven verse two matchups in our pick your all-time favorite movie bracket challenge. So if you guys are just tuning in, basically we have created a March Madness style tournament bracket where we have taken suggestions of your favorite movies and put them head to head. And right now we are on the two verse seven seeds. We just closed out our six V three seeds. So we're moving right on. So today's movies are the blues brothers versus 50, 50. So coming in first, we have the blues brothers and that is our seventh seed for this week comes in at a 73% approval rating on rotten tomatoes. A lot of fun facts I found, um, when researching this movie and, I'm going to throw these at you and see what you make of these. We usually do this within the podcast, but I thought it would be fun to start out with this. So shockingly to me, this movie was shot on a $30 million budget, which is insane. If you watch it, you understand why. How many cars do you think were wrecked in the filming of this movie? So I'm trying to think because there's the final chase where I would say they wreck about... If I had to guess in the final chase alone, probably about 40 to 50 cars somewhere in there. But they also have a little pileup of police cars on the side of the road at one point, kind of randomly. And I would say they crash another 15 there. So I'd say about 65. 103 cars were wrecked during the filming of this. They also had to give a $50,000 donation to charity in order for the city of Chicago to allow them to film, which is hilarious. So fun fact on top of that car wreck number is that they held the record for most cars wrecked during a film for a while. And then two years later, another movie came along. I forgot what it was called and upped them by a few more cars, but there is now a movie that holds the record with 300 cars being wrecked. And that is the record holder for that. Can you guess what movie this is? You have seen it. Okay. So at first I thought maybe they decided to do like a bigger cut, like a director's cut of Blues Brothers and put more cars in just for <laughs> Not the record. Not the case. Where they wreck a lot of cars. It feels like it would have to be some Fast and Furious movie. That's what you would think, but it is not. And I was surprised by this. No, because Don Toretto keeps his car clean. Oh my gosh. Um, it's actually The Matrix Reloaded. That makes sense. Yeah, I don't think I got that far. You tried to make me watch all of them and I just refused. So I didn't get that far. But um, yeah, 300 cars wrecked in the Matrix Reloaded. That actually, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, One of the big fight scenes happens on a highway. So. Ah, makes sense. Well, I just thought that was really fun. A very random fact, but very fun. A lot of fun filming facts about this movie. I won't go into all of them, but a lot of interesting things between the dynamics of John Belushi Dan Aykroyd, just John Belushi in general being who he is. Um, Really funny behind the scenes facts if you guys want to go look it up. So that is our seventh seed for this week. And then we go over to our second seed, which is 50-50, coming in at a 93% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. This movie was nominated for two Golden Globes. It did not win, but it was nominated for Best Actor for Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Best Motion Picture, Comedy or Musical. I'll talk about this more later, but I didn't know when watching this movie is that the character that Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays, Adam, is based on the screenwriter. And the screenwriter is actually one of Seth Rogen's best friends. 
Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So Seth Rogen's basically playing himself in this movie, which again, we'll talk about a little bit later, but those are our two movies for this week. So we will talk about the strengths and weaknesses. We really liked both of these spoiler alert. So I think we're going to talk about a lot of strengths for both of these movies. We're going to talk little details that made a big difference. We're going to talk about why this would be someone's favorite movie of all time and why it might've been recommended to us to watch. And then we will pick one winner to move on to the next round in this bracket challenge. So let's dive right into strengths and weaknesses. And as always, I'll let you pick where we start. I'm going to go with weaknesses for the Blues Brothers. Do you have any? Um, We were talking about this actually before we recorded because it was a really hard movie to find weaknesses in because it just is what it is and it's fun and light. And my only weakness was that maybe there were too many antagonists in this movie. There were too many people who were after Jake and Elwood. You had Carrie Fisher's character. You had the Nazis. You had the Chicago police department. You had the good old boys, the good old boys. You had a lot of people who were angry at them, but also were like actively chasing them throughout the movie. And I think maybe you could have cut a few of those groups of people, especially Carrie Fisher's character. She was funny and the premise of it was funny that she was just like this disgruntled ex-fiance of Jake's who's taking a grenade launcher to where they live. It was funny because it was blown out of proportion. So even in my weaknesses, I put maybe too many antagonist question mark because I'm not even fully sold on this being a weakness. But that's the thing about this movie is the movie never takes itself too seriously. So you can't take anything serious enough to find a weakness in it. Yeah. And that's the thing. I didn't take any of these antagonists too seriously at all. I think it was all done very goofily. So my weakness, I'm not even completely sold on. So that brings us over to the strengths, which should be the weaknesses, right? That they're building stuff with cheap wood, I would say, to make all of these crashes just so silly all the time. Anything that they blow up, anything that they wreck, anything at all you can tell it's cheap wood and when it breaks it's supposed to break funny it's a comedy so it's things like that the fact that there's this moment when they're in the sauna but they still have their hats and sunglasses on there's even in the final chase at one point they were they wreck like i said probably about 50 police cars in a row the movie ends up being really funny because all of this is over $5,000 that they have to try and get. Yeah, so- the, the premise of this whole movie is that we have Jake and Elwood, the two Blues Brothers. Jake gets out of prison. They go to visit the old orphanage where they grew up. And basically the nun is like, the orphanage is going to close if we don't pay back taxes of $5,000. So they try and get their old band back together so they can raise money to save this orphanage. Yeah. And it's just, it's all a very silly concept and it's just the perfect amount of silly for a movie, I would say. I think that plays into my strength a little bit in that watching this movie for a movie that is based off of an SNL skit slash character, which is a scripted sketch comedy show with built-in laugh tracks, AKA the audience. What I really liked about this movie is that this movie doesn't feel forced funny. You kind of decide what you want to laugh at or not because Jake and Elwood are such blunted, non-emotional, like straight shooter kind of characters. You don't really know what's silly or what's funny. 
you decide that on your own. And I really liked that because this is more of a dry humor type of movie, but you also can find one thing funny and not the other. If you want like goofy slapstick stuff to be funny, you have a lot of that in this movie. You have 30 cars piling on top of each other. You have people getting hurt and things falling on them. But then you have like... You have literally the best form of that, which is when the Nazis drive off of that ramp and then all of a sudden the scene continues and they are falling from what seems like the Sears Tower and they're just falling forever. And it's funny because it doesn't make any sense. doesn't need to. It reminded me very much of the humor you see in the airplane movies, but also muted a little bit more because airplane is obviously very silly. And this movie has a lot of that, but tone it down like a few notches. And that's what you have in the Blues Brothers. And I appreciate that because it's not these outlandish things that are automatically funny. I think it's mostly too because of the way they react to these silly things. For instance, when they go to Elwood's apartment, which is basically a water closet right next to the CTA tracks, which is hilarious because this movie is always also very stereotypical Chicagoan and they're literally right next to the L tracks. And I think at one point Jake asked him like, do the trains ever stop? And he's like, Oh no, you just get used to them. And it's constantly just like the red and brown line trains. They're clearly right in the loop, just kind of going past them constantly. And they don't do anything about it. Like the sound is just what it is and they have to adjust to the sound of the trains. And it's so funny because they're just unfazed by it. And then Jake falls asleep. Elwood falls asleep. The cops come to try and arrest them. And here comes Carrie Fisher who detonates the entire block, but it cuts it in half, like right where they are. They fall under this pile of bricks and they just get up like nothing happened. Like they weren't just almost murdered. And I think that's why this movie is so funny is because you don't need the characters to react to things. You get to react to it on your own. And it's very fun that way. Now, something that you brought up right there was you were talking about Chicago as a setting. How did you feel about that? Because I have that in my strengths. Oh, I, I always love watching Chicago as a setting. And I don't want to spoil too much about Chicago as a setting because I have something very specific I want to talk about in my little details with that. But Chicago is always a really fun setting. You have a lot of really cool different pockets of the city, which they explored in this movie, which I appreciated. Sometimes when you see Chicago as a setting, you see Lower Wacker, you see the river, you see the loop, you see those areas and they hit all those areas, but they also hit a lot of other areas of the city in this. And I appreciated it. And I always love sitting and being in our apartment in Chicago and watching a movie that was based in Chicago. It's fun. It really goes outside of Chicago too. I like that it touches on the suburbs kind of, of Chicago even when they're talking about where they could find Jake and Elwood, they mention, I believe it's Lake, Cook, and McHenry counties. Well, I think it's also part of Northwest Indiana too, is what they're yes. mentioning. Because I believe, and I didn't research this, so correct me if I rem- I'm wrong. When they are trying to advertise the Blues Brothers show to try and raise their money, I believe they're driving down Indiana Beach when they're doing that. Okay. I think so. Don't quote me on that. I didn't research it, but I think when they were talking about Lake County, they might have thought Lake County, Indiana. Maybe. You grew up in Indiana, so you'd know better than I would. 
I just think maybe because like a lot of these other scenes are based in the South suburbs too, that Lake County, Indiana is kind of a hot hop, skip and a jump, especially if they're from Calumet city, Calumet city is right on the border of Northwest Indiana. So you could throw a baseball there. You could. (laughs) So, um, that's what I was thinking. But again, I could be very wrong and I'm okay if I'm wrong, but I think that one scene they were driving down Indiana beach. I'm going to take your word for it and believe you 100%. Okay. So my last strength that I have were, were the musical numbers. I also had that. Which were great. And there were not too many, not too little. And you got everything from a movie that is about music and almost watches like a musical. And they were just really great. And they got so many really important epic people in music and blues to be in this movie. You have James Brown, Chaka Khan, Aretha Franklin, Ray Charles, like huge, huge names who actually play very funny parts, but also something interesting I was reading about the filming of this movie is that the people who the crew of this movie had such a hard time getting some of these really big artists to not sing as they were doing these numbers because they were trying to use backing tracks. But I guess James Brown just couldn't do it. So he ended up just singing live in the gospel scene. But I mean, just a huge musical talent and just huge like pioneers of blues and R&B and so important to be in this movie about blues and just really cool to see these people and the musical numbers they did were all really fun and it was like choreographed really well it's sat as a musical comedy almost and it was great I have one more strength I want to talk about and this is I guess more of a uh, personal strength but the mall scene was super impressive. So at one point. I forgot they probably crashed a couple cars in the mall they too. crashed a lot of things in the mall. Um, so backstory of that mall is that it took place at the Dixie Mall in Harvey, which when they shot this movie, that mall was closed. So all of those stores had to be rebuilt to then just be destroyed. <laughs> and I mean, I think that's where a significant portion of their budget probably went. But how satisfying was it to watch them just drive through this mall and just destroy everything? Like if you watch this scene, it is not them crashing into a kiosk and entering and exiting through the other end. They literally smash every window. They they break every wall. They knock down every shelf like with these car chases. And it's oddly satisfying to watch. Think like a free roam car game. It reminded me of like Grand Theft Auto when you're just breaking shit, yeah, you know? Actually. And it was really satisfying and fun to watch. And that almost links back to the silliness of it, right? Because there were times when you're watching this chase that they're not actually chasing each other. They're just trying to wreck as many stores as possible. Ideally, if it was a chase and you were trying to get away, You'd probably avoid all of the storefronts, but they seem to just drive through them to drive back out of them. And I find that to just be so funny, especially what you're talking about with just the crazy amount of destruction in the mall scene. Yeah, it's so great and very entertaining. And this movie is just very entertaining. I think we didn't talk about that as a strength, but overarching, this movie is just entertaining and it's fun and it's easy to watch. 
So let's then flip over to 50-50. What are your strengths for 50-50? There are two characters specifically that I think make this movie work. And that's Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Seth Rogen. Although the two main characters of this movie. Yes, but I think this movie goes wrong in a couple different ways if those are other people. So let's talk a little bit about this movie first and introduce this to everybody because for me, this is a movie I heard about when it came out and I remember it being advertised, but never saw and never really heard anybody talk about after it came out. I don't know how it did at the box office, but it just wasn't one of those movies that was really chatted about or you heard kind of your friends talking about, at least in in our realms. So the story of this movie is that Seth Rogen and Joseph Gordon-Levitt basically drive this entire movie. They're the main characters in this movie. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays Adam, who finds out he has a rare form of cancer on his back um, and has a 50% chance of living. And Kyle, played by Seth Rogen, is his best friend, who's kind of just this like stoner loser type character who finds out about this and there's other little characters along the way, like Adam's terrible girlfriend. And then Anna Kendrick plays Adam's therapist and um, Angelica Houston plays his mom and you have his dad and a lot of little characters along the way that he meets. But basically this is a story of a guy who is trying to kind of grasp the potential of this survival rate for this very rare form of cancer he has and try and build up his support group around him. So I think that, like you said, these two main characters, I mean, just phenomenal in this movie. I think they had such great chemistry. And I read somewhere that James McAvoy was supposed to play Adam and then dropped out. So Seth Rogen was like, let's get Joseph Gordon-Levitt in here. I like Joseph Gordon-Levitt better than James McAvoy because I don't find James McAvoy funny at all. And this movie still kind of needs to be funny. Ironically, it's called 50-50. This movie is almost split down the middle, funny and drama, like comedy and drama. And I think it needs to stay that way. I love how it is set up with just the theme because one of my biggest strengths of this movie is that it is a movie that is essentially about a guy with cancer, but it is not one of those like rip your heart out, tear it to shreds, Like, let's just talk about dying the entire time. Like death is almost on the back burner of everyone's mind and no one brings it to the forefront, which he then realizes throughout the movie that all of his friends and family are very concerned about him and have bought books on how to support him and are going to support groups. And it's all very touching, but it's not your typical like guy dying of cancer movie where it's just about cancer as the main character. This is a movie about like I'm going to say something really friends. Corny. It's about life. Yeah, it is. It's about life and it's about loving the people that are in that inner circle and being treated well and realizing what you deserve and what you want at the possible end of your life and who you want to surround yourself with. And I think it is just such a relational comedy and it makes it so much better because we're not taking a movie and making the disease that a person has the star of this movie. It's not about just this disease. He has this and it's definitely a player in this movie, but it's so much more about relationships and growing up and learning what you deserve and 
quitting, quitting your monotonous day job and realizing what else you can do with life and how to branch out. And it's such a good mix of emotion and funny. And it just does it really, really well. One other thing that I want to put in the strengths category of this is something that Seth Rogen does very well. Seth Rogen has this incredible ability to, you know, talk about buttholes and farts and ball sacks without it being overly gross. There's something about him that feels so juvenile where we don't have to take those words so harshly from him. And that's something that I noticed while watching this movie. And I wanted to put it in the strengths category. When writing this out, Seth Rogen was my biggest strength for this movie. And I think part of that is my reasoning for that. This character that he plays, Kyle, is the character that is the stoner loser that everyone's parents and girlfriends sees as this guy who just goes to his job and he doesn't do anything with his life and he just hits on girls and he goes out and he doesn't have much to add to his persona and he says the wrong things. He's raunchy. He does not make good impressions on people, but he's also one of the best people. Like he has such a big heart and he doesn't have to outwardly show how much he's scared or how much he's concerned about his friend to show that he cares or is concerned about his friend. And that's the character that Seth Rogen, I think, plays so well is this guy who is just down to earth, doesn't have a hidden agenda, is very sweet, but people often take advantage of that sweetness as someone who's lazy or someone who is this loser, doesn't have much to say about themselves. And I think he plays this character so well in this movie. And like I said in the intro, I think it helps so much that the screenwriter was his friend who went through this. So he's basically reenacting a lot of these scenes that he went through with his friend. And I think that's why it feels so organic and feels so normal. And one thing in reading some of the behind the scenes stuff for this movie is I guess that when the screenwriter, Will Reiser, called Seth Rogen and told him he had cancer, Seth Rogen was actually on the toilet pooping and they decided to take that out of the movie because they thought it was just too weird. Um, But really interesting that there's these human connection moments that an actor can make while he is playing this part. And what a big part to step up to the plate and play that you're almost playing yourself and putting yourself back in this situation that I'm sure was really, really hard for you to live through. And he does such a phenomenal job and you're automatically just drawn to him watching this movie. Do you have any other strengths? I don't. So let's flip over to weaknesses and talk to me about your weakness. I think it's the same as mine. I have one. It's the love interest. Why is it his therapist? (sighs) She's so bad. She's awful in this movie. She's so bad. She's really not good. She's so bad. Okay, so we're talking about Anna Kendrick and she plays Catherine. So after Adam gets diagnosed with this rare form of cancer, they refer him to a therapist. And it's basically this girl and she's a doctoral student and it's her third patient ever. And she plays the worst therapist I've ever seen because she just doesn't follow a lot of rules and I won't get on my therapy soapbox, but like just breaks HIPAA back and forth is really rude and condescending to him at first. She's super messy and just like keeps food all over her office, which is fucking weird. But she also 
plays this like aloof. I don't know what I'm doing and I'm, I'm sorry. Is this okay? Person throughout the whole movie. And it's like, no one is like that. No one is drawn to a person like that. There's no way that this guy who is very strong willed, strong minded is falling in love with this girl who acts like it's her first day on the planet every day. She was just so awful in this movie and I just hated her character so much. I agree. I would have, I would have rather had him go back to Bryce Dallas Howard. Bryce Dallas Howard's character was also infuriating in this movie, but she was funny because she was a shithead, but she played it really well. Um, She basically just like cheats on him and then tries to get him back and, is a very funny character because she's just rotten. She's just a terrible person, but she plays it super well. And I shouldn't like her more than I like Anna Kendrick's character. Who's supposed to be this romantic lead. I think it's fine that she's the therapist. If she's going to be a timid therapist and that's her thing, but she cannot also be the love interest. We need a different love interest for that. Someone that ends up being likable. Yeah, she's really unlikable. And the idea of them falling for one another is really weird because she makes him uncomfortable so often in their first couple of sessions and just doesn't know what she's doing at all and is really awful at her job. And then they try to like impart that she gave him some big life lessons and maybe her weird, quirky aloofness actually helped him process things. No, it didn't. She's really bad and just, I I hated her in this movie. Yeah, not great. I knew our weakness would be the same, but that's all we had for weaknesses. So now we'll go over into little details that made a big difference and we'll stick with 50-50. And I'm going to throw this one out here first because I think we have the same one and it's the title of the movie. I think the title is a great little detail because it's 50-50. He has a 50 percent chance of surviving this it's a 50 50 chance he can come out of this perfect title guess who came up with the title name seth rogan bryce dallas howard oh yeah they were she was like oh 50 50 and then i guess the director was like and the screenwriter was like oh that's perfect and she was like really and that's how they came up with the title was just at this table read and she was like here it is and that it stuck it's perfect it's a perfect movie title i love that I have another little detail, though, and my other little detail. I was going to say that was not the same as mine, like you thought it would be. I'm surprised because we were talking about it when we were watching the movie, because once we saw that his type of cancer had a 50 percent survival rate, we were like, oh, (laughs) it was like this big light bulb moment between both of us. And we're like, that's good. That is a good movie title. We loved that. But anyways, my other little detail comes after Adam's first chemotherapy treatment where he is getting chemo and he's sitting in the room with these two guys, Mitch and Alan, who are these two older gentlemen who are also going through chemo. And the first time he meets them, he they talk about what type of cancer they have and all of that. And they get high together because Alan brings these macaroons that, or Mitch, one of them brings these macaroons that basically a pot baked into them. So Joseph Gordon-Levitt's leaving after chemo and walking down the hallway of the hospital. And he passes by this mural where it says families fighting cancer together. And the whole thing of this movie is almost Adam trying to figure out who his family is. And those two guys in that chemo 
room become his family. And then he realized that Kyle is part of his family. He feels like his mom is then like more important to him in his life, aside from just this woman who's annoying and wants to move in with him after she finds out he has cancer. He was originally not going to tell her. Yeah. And so part of this whole movie is this character trying to seek who his family is. And this cancer brings him this family that he never knew he needed or never knew he had as strong. And I don't know if that was purposeful in the movie, but I thought it was a really cool segue after his first chemo treatment. That's interesting. I didn't even notice that, but that's fun. I'll look for it when we rewatch it. My little detail happens at the very beginning of the movie, because in order to make cancer kind of scary in this movie, it has to be attached to someone who wouldn't get cancer, right? I'm putting that in air quotes. We find out that Adam is the most safe and cautious person. And how do we know that immediately? He comes to a street where he's going to walk across the intersection, but the hand is up. He looks both ways. There are no cars in the street. Someone passes him and runs by. He still does not advance because he is cautious, a rule follower. He does everything how he's supposed to. And that just makes it stronger once he's diagnosed with cancer that literally anyone can get this. It's not for good people. It's not for bad people. It's not for rule followers. It's not for rule breakers. It's something that anybody can just get. And anybody's chance of life can come down to a 50-50 shot of whether they can cure the cancer that they have. You know what I mean? No, that's cool. I didn't notice that. I really enjoy that. Speaking of, though, how they talk about cancer in this movie, this I didn't put into my little details, but I took this as my note when I was writing it. Kyle basically throws this going away party for Adam in their office. And the conversations that his coworkers have with him about the cancer he has and just about him and what he's going to do is so funny because it's so stereotypical, like awkward. I don't know what to say to this guy who might be dying kind of thing. Like, Hey, yeah, my, my cousin had that same one, I think. And then somebody was like, I heard that this home remedy helps and all of this. And it's literally what anyone would have a conversation with you about if you told them that you had cancer, because it's such an awkward thing to talk about. And how do you talk to somebody who thinks slash knows they might be dying? It's so awkward and so hard. And you're trying to just draw up like the most basic low grade conversation and it makes for a really funny scene in this movie that these people are like I think I think my cousin had that same kind of cancer like holy shit that's that's rough position to be in I love that you brought that up because that's a specific part of humor that can only work in a movie like this which is the humor that comes from people not knowing how to handle being told bad news when you tell someone that like your dog died or something and they don't know what to say and they're like, oh, like I bet they were a good dog or something like that. I had a dog once. You know what I mean? No one knows what to say in any of these situations. So okay. So I love that you brought that up because that's something that this movie specifically can hit, right? The Blues Brothers can't hit this in the way that they're doing their comedy, but 50-50 can. So I love that you brought that up. I just wanted to throw it in there because it was such a funny scene um, and it didn't really fall in any of my categories, but I wanted to make sure I brought it up. But anyways, let's flip over to the Blues Brothers and talk about little details that made a big difference. 
And we touched on mine a little bit, so I don't have to go too in depth. And we talked about it shooting in Chicago, but I really want to highlight how important it was for the music, the culture that they were amplifying in this movie, that a lot of the shooting locations for this movie were shot on the South side of Chicago and the Southwest suburbs, which I think is really great. And when we talk about being shot in Chicago, we see a lot of maybe like Wrigley field, which is also in this movie. And maybe that's as far North, but we don't see a lot of like really far South shot in Chicago movies at all. And so some of the locations for anybody who's familiar with Chicago, um, Ray's where Ray Charles had his music store in the movie, um, is a, I think a jeweler right now on East 47th street. You had the Dixie mall, which was in Harvey. Um, the church where James Brown was doing his sermon at is on East 91st. The orphanage is on 18th street and the theater where they have their final concert, at least the outside shots of it inside was shot in LA, but the outside of it is at the South shore cultural center, which I think is just really cool. And those areas of the city are not places people go to scout films usually. And so I loved that it brought the South side culture and flair um, and a lot of the blues music scenes of the South side into this movie. I think it was very important for them to do that. I love that. I just think the city is so great. So I'm glad that your little detail had to do with the city. Spoiler alert. We're never moving away from here. Jesus. So if anybody has thousands of dollars they want to give us so we can live here comfortably forever, we're accepting donations. You're funny. So my little detail for the Blues Brothers is in the credits where they start to use everyone's real name, right? They're like, this is Ray Charles. This is Aretha Franklin. Like we didn't know. But they still choose to use Joliet, Jake, and Elwood for John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd. They're not willing to pull back that curtain for the movie. And I really appreciate that. That is fun. That's a fun detail. And I also love the credits because they highlighted the crew of the movie. Yes, they did that too. And they showed this shot of the crew and it was all of them waving and they were all sitting on the bleachers somewhere. And it was so cool because you don't see the behind the scenes guys of these movies ever. Guys and gals. It's it was so fun to see. Yeah, I'm glad that they got their shining moment, too. But that. It's not part of my little detail. It's it's it was just the you two said names. I don't care about the crew. <laughs> I care about the big names in this movie. It was like I said, it was just the two. But I really appreciated that choice of kind of still keeping some cards up your sleeve. Right. All right. Let's go into our next category. Talk to me about why the Blues Brothers would be someone's favorite movie of all time. You like music, you like Chicago, you like fun, you like them. And a movie that is unique is very important to you. This movie cannot be replicated or really done in the same fashion. There's it's the specific blend of all of those things that feels special to you that you hold in your heart. I don't think I could say anything better. That's pretty much exactly what I had um, alongside just liking a movie that's a little bit more dry humored and easy to watch. So I think you said it perfectly. Flipping over to 50-50, I think this would be someone's favorite movie. If you want something heartfelt that doesn't tear your heart to shreds and something that feels very human and down to earth and you like watching the relational character building between different 
people in a central character's life and seeing how all the pieces fall together. But I think overall, you're looking for something that's going to be a little bit more emotional with a little bit of humor thrown in there, but also just be a story about people. I like the way you said that. I could add my own little bit to it. I wrote down that you really just love dramedies. You like a comedy, but it has to have drama. You don't like the bench warmers, Billy Madison. Well, maybe Billy Madison. You don't like Happy Gilmore. You don't like silly movies. So your comedies have to have drama. And then your dramas also have to have a little bit of comedy in them. And I think that's kind of the way you prefer your movies. Okay. Well, I think that wraps up everything we wanted to say for all these movies. So we will go down to picking a winner and picking what will advance on to the next round. So as always, we will do a little three, two, one countdown and reveal which movies between the Blues Brothers and 5050 will move on to the next round in this bracket challenge. Are you ready? Yes, I am. All right. Three, two, one. 50 50. moves on to the next round. Guys, like just two really great movies we watched this week. We were so jazzed watching both of these. It was hard to come up with weaknesses for both of these for the most part. Really, really great movies. So that will conclude this week's episode. And our next episode will actually drop in two weeks. And I'll go into why in a little bit. But that next episode will drop on Monday, May 3rd. And we will be reviewing Fantastic Mr. Fox, which is a second seed, versus World War Z, which is a seventh seed. So like I said, that will come out on Monday, May 3rd. So we will be skipping next week. And I'll explain a little bit why. And this is all the more reason to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Cine Matchups. So what some of you may not know about Sean and I is that we are huge fans of the Oscars and we are huge fans of movies in general. But I like them grouchy. I like them on The (laughs) Office. So the Oscars are this Sunday, April 25th. And one thing that we have done for several years now I've done since at least 2014, I believe. Sean, I think when we met, started doing this with me. I watch every movie nominated in every major televised category. So this year we have 31 movies to get through. And I think we have 11 or 10 left that we have to get through. So we're going to dedicate next week to watching all of those movies before the Oscars on Sunday. And what we will be doing is we will be posting every day next week, starting on Monday. So starting probably when you're listening to this episode, just reviewing some movies we watched recently that are nominated for Oscars, talking about our reviews, talking about where you can go see them, talking about why we're excited about these, talking about why we're not excited about these, and just reviewing some of these Oscar movies because we love watching them so much. And for us, this leads up to Oscars Sunday, which is always really big for our group of friends um, because we pick a movie, we get assigned a movie every year and we have to make a dish corresponding to that movie. And then usually we have a big feast because of COVID. Everything's going to be virtual this year. But usually we have a big feast of all of these dishes we bring and we play games and we win prizes and we play bingo and we have ballot contests and we give out fake awards to all of our friends and it's very fun. So We are focusing all of our attention on the Oscars this upcoming week. So that is why our podcast will be delayed. But like I said, you can go follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Cine Matchups and you can watch all of those reviews come in and you can follow all of our content for weeks and months and years to come. 
If you haven't looked at where you are on the leaderboard on Chalonge yet for this bracket challenge, you can go look at that. It's chalonge.com slash the cinema matchups. We have some movement on the boards. Again, no perfect brackets. We have some people who have some tied scores. It's really exciting to watch. So if you haven't looked at that in a while, go check it out. So that will wrap up our podcast for this week. We will see you guys on Monday, May 3rd. So for this week, for the Cinema Matchups, we are Kim Kohler and Sean Rodenberg. And we're on a mission from God. And we will see you next time.